and welcome to the Hopeless Podcast. My name is Delphia. I am your host. Joining me today is Jason, our regular. So welcome, Jason. Hi, Delphia. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Joseph is not with us today. He had other arrangements, so we'll miss him this week. But yes, hopefully next week he'll be back on again. And today we have another very special guest. We have Catalina. So welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's, yeah. it's lovely to know that it finally worked out. We've been trying to get this collab for quite a while. Yeah, so uh, I didn't want to be too pushy, but I was just like, we need to have someone on. Um, so it's great mm. that you've been able to come on and um, yeah, someone else, a new face on the block and, you know, get to go and meet new people and hear what they have to say as well. So kind of general question, but who are you? I ask every single guest this, who are you? All right, so my name's Catalina, and I'm someone who at the moment is currently studying a Bachelor of Social Work with Griffith University um, in Brisbane. And I guess apart from that, I was an architectural interior designer, so I worked with builders in construction um, and worked with architects um, in the building stages of houses and apartments and, um, yeah, all those kind of things. Um, and then I am also a wife of one husband <laughs> and I am a mother of two daughters. Um, so they're 11 and 12. Wow. So yeah, that's a little bit of my personal stuff. Nice. And um, so you do social working and how's, how's that? Like what, what is it like with the whole social working thing? It's been so interesting um, to be totally honest with you. I think as, as a mother, I feel like all parents should do some of the units that I've done in my social work course because it has just given me such a deeper understanding of the human mind, um, just how the brain develops. Um, also, um, a lot of things that have to do with we mentioned we talked a little bit about it about um, identity formation and identity actualization. Um, so there's a lot of things that I've learned through this that I I parent in a very different way. Uh, because I see the different stages that my daughters are going through and I guess the impact of the way that I respond to them through these stages and how I can actually support them um, and help them through these stages rather than I feel when we always say, oh, wait till they turn into teenagers, you know, then the, that's when it gets really hard. Um, I feel that as a parent that I can go into those challenging years with a much different um, mindset and, and also I think just a different spirit about how I sort of see everything that they're trying to navigate on their own. So it's been really, really good, like really good. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, how are you finding uni? I'm like, I love it. Like, I love it. I just, everything, every unit that I've studied up until now, I've, I've just loved every single one. I've learned so much. So yeah, it's, it's been really good. Mm, that's interesting. And teenagers aren't that bad like I'm one I'm, I'm not too too bad but you know I still have some rough edges but you know it's a horrible I'm just kidding <laughs> well <laughs> let uh, me ask your parents what kind of a teenager you are yeah I, okay one day <laughs> <laughs> let me ask your brother what kind of a sister you are that's different that doesn't mean all throughout lives <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk. That's getting a bit too personal. Yeah, let's talk teenagers. Huh? I, I mean, when I was a teenager, it, it felt really quick um, to be quite honest. I don't think I had a lot of teenage years. Um, but what I got to see was my brother going through the same thing. He was just maybe a couple of years older than me. And I could see him going through the, you, You're shaking your head there, Delphia, because. Your, your brother is a few years older than you as well. Yeah. You can see them going through that stuff. So I remember when his voice broke, you know, he was like uh, fantastic mm. in the choir. And then all of a sudden he was like, uh, yeah. uh, and then it was like so deep, you know what I mean? Um, I, don't, I don't remember that happening to me. I don't remember my voice breaking at all going, oh my gosh. Um, but what are some of the, you know, the challenges? <laughs> I suppose you haven't got you haven't got teenage kids. But what are some of the challenges that you know teenagers would be facing today that you you see in your you know, in your studies? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's an underlying um, 
there's underlying things that I think we will just see it. It's going to be regardless of the generation. Um, there's, there's different types of how we interact with bullies. There's different ways of how we interact in social environments. Um, there's a lot of things that I think they'll just always be there, regardless of whether, you know, it's, it's the same or maybe the way that we perceive those things, whether it's exactly the same as it is today and as it was, you know, 200 years ago. Um, but I think for us today, technology and social media is one of the areas that is impacting the most when it comes to like our young people and teenagers. And the hardest thing that comes with that is that because technology advances so quickly, yeah. we don't know like the psychological impacts of these things because we haven't had the time to study it. Yeah. We haven't been able to sit down for 20 years and say, okay, what has the impact of Facebook had on people because, you know, Facebook is relatively new and, and no one thought it was going to be a big thing. And now, you know, I'm not sure how old Facebook is. It have to be close to like coming on to like 20 years. Um, now they're realizing, oh, wait, like people are really engaging in an unhealthy way. Let's begin to study this now. And so only now are we really seeing um, researchers and psychologists and social workers and counselors really trying to see, hey, how drastic is the impact that social media has on a child? How drastic is it when a child gets a phone at the age of like eight? What impacts do um, iPads and all those types of things have on children when they're given to them at the age of three? So unfortunately, by the time we have the data and the research um, and all the information to really inform us as to what this impact is going to have on our people, it's going to be, it's going to be too late um, for, for us today. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably the hardest thing is, is social media and technology. And we also just don't have the information to sort of prepare parents for, hey, this is the potential. This, this is what we're finding has become a dangerous area uh, with relation, how we relate to these specific things. But yeah, it just keeps showing up like social media when um, we have a look at like suicidal teenagers. Um, one of the biggest things is the impact that social media has on them. Which is a real shame because one of our first episodes that we did, it was the first episode, actually, it was the dangers of social media. We spoke a little bit about that and um, how there's like this amazing image that you know a lot of the time people put on there and that can be discouraging how you know you got all the cyber bullying and you know there's so many different yeah. things that are going on in there that you know you're getting exposed to on a much greater level like I guess on the way it was back in the days like you know you had your friends if you saw them that's like when they could bully you otherwise they couldn't really get to you mm. but now it's mm. like you're exposed like depending on how many friends you have, I've got one because I hardly use my Facebook account. But like for those of people who have like 200 different friends who can all contact you at the same time, no matter where they are, you know, it's mm -hmm. like you've got a lot more pressure on you then rather than just, you know, the yeah. people who I'm with who I can handle because I put myself in that situation, you know, they're the yeah. only ones who can get to me at that point in time. Now is, you know, it's free range, I guess. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And I suppose, you know. And also... Go ahead. Yeah, you go, Jason. Now, I suppose that, you know, we sort of grew up in a different time um, and we don't really fully appreciate the benefits of social media. I mean, I mean I'm sure the young people that go, there's so much more benefit, you know, the time that you lived in was, was lame, you know, um, and, you know, it would have been boring, but, you know, I don't remember being bored, <laughs> actually, um, hardly. You know, hardly ever been bored, and we can see that you know um, the, the the main drive of social media is to, to provide entertainment in a way, and you know again as you said you know we don't really know the impact that that constant um, entertainment would would have on on people's brain and screen time as well. Mm -hmm. Just don't know. Mm. Yeah. And, and I also tell people, like, when we're having this discussion, especially with parents, you know, I say to them, I'm like, look, if we're realistic, before there was a device, like, you would have people who would read books. Like, my girls are bookworms. And, and I, I know with them, like, they can just sit and read a book for hours 
and I, I've had zero <laughs> communication with them. Um, they don't realize that they're hungry because they're so busy, like reading their book. Um, so there's different, I feel there's different ways that we tap out or that we get to this place where we just didn't, we lost track of time. Um, but I think when it comes to screens and technology, it's just a different way that the brain reacts to that kind of stimulation. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, is when we look at, you know, the insecurities that were created, or even this idea of like, um, that we often find ourselves like comparison or um, envying people. Traditionally, that was seen through like the TV, like we would watch shows that depicted certain ways of the way that people lived and why don't I have that kind of lifestyle and why don't I live in a house like that or why don't I go on so we used to get it more it was more filtered and it was more intentional where when we have social media through our news feeds we have an abundance of things that can cause us to be uh, compare, comparing ourselves to others it can give us present positions where we're discontent with our lives um it's just, it's, it's, I feel the intensity is so different, but yet it's filtered through maybe a, like a real sincere desire. Like you mentioned, Jason, like for connection, for um, keeping in contact with people. I know for me, I'm 37 and me and Facebook, like we're constantly like, I feel like we have a toxic relationship because one moment we're doing great and I'm really healthy and I'm in a great state of mind. And the next thing I'm like, okay, I need to delete the app. Like it's just this constant backwards and forwards. And I'm 37, like I'm 37. Um, I don't know how a, a brain that hasn't developed like neurologically, they don't have the frontal lobe capacity to make the decisions that I can make as an adult. A 10 year old just can't make those decisions with the same reasoning as what I can. And yet I find it a struggle. Um, and so to place that type of pressure on, on our children and, and teenagers is something that I think we have to be really careful about um, and, or at least understand the dangers of it. If, if you still want to make that decision, then go for it. But just to be aware of, hey, what, what is the impact of this and, and how can I try and avoid, you know, we have like people that are like, um, you know, even schools would often promote that if you're going to have a computer, have the computer in a common area where you can be walking backwards and forwards and, you know, you can be looking out to see what your child is looking at. So you make sure that they're in like on safe websites and all that kind of stuff. So that's a precaution that we make. So if, if we're going to make a decision for our children to have these devices and to have social media and all that kind of stuff, let's also implement things that will help to protect them, that, that will help to make the, the whole, I guess, journey with social media and technology not as dangerous or at least try and limit um, the potential psychological impact that it can have on them. True. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the development of the, the frontal lobe, um, my understanding from some research that I've looked at, and this was going back maybe almost 10 years ago, they were showing that um, the, the dendrites going through the myelination process is actually often slowed down because of you know, either too early exposure to screen time or too much exposure to screen time. And this is actually even worse in boys. So you know, when boys get exposed to uh, screen time too early, uh, or too much, it can um, reduce the myelination of the dendrites, which, which in turn mm. is the, the speed at which information is processed and, and all these different kind of things. So we can see that there, I mean, this, and this was yeah, going back maybe 10 years ago. So, I mean, yeah, can you imagine what, what we, we would know now if we sort of you know, kept up with our research and what is, you know, what is the main thing that's been affected now? Um, in terms of you know the emotional side of, of developmental personality um, how can we you know um, how can we sort of identify this and you know you mentioned earlier on about sort of identity as, as an issue um, can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of um, how this get get affected if you're, when you're when you're younger yeah so um, basically, some of some of the key psychologists um, have looked at like the different stages that we go through in, in a lifespan. Um, and it's basically called lifespan development. And it's all these stages that 
um, markers, you could say, that people reach at certain ages. Now, depending on culture as well, there's a big difference. So, for example, like um, in certain cultures, it's quite normal for a child to be six, seven years old and to be working out in like a paddock or a farm and carrying heavy things. But yet in a westernized culture, we would see that as something that, you know, you shouldn't be doing. Like kids need to be kids and, um, you know, it comes into like slave labor and all that kind of stuff. So there's a difference between cultures. So we have to keep that into um, keep that in consideration when we look at these stages in life. But at the same time, there are definitely things that we can see that are biological, like a physical evidence. So when a child can begin to walk, you know, around the age of one, you will find that in any culture that that's just naturally what is going to happen physically for a child as they're growing from infancy into early childhood. Um, so those kind of markers will help us to uh, develop and grow and become independent become depend independent and going from a stage of being highly dependent where we relied on our parents or our guardians to provide a lot for us and so when we're going through that stage and, and I mentioned you know there's the terrible truth yeah. the neurological development that happens at the age of two in in connection with the physical allows for a two-year-old to decide I don't want to sit here anymore I want to go for a run down the street and they don't have the frontal lobe development to say hey this is actually a dangerous thing I should stay with my parents because my parents are a safe place for them at the age of two they now understanding I can walk on my own if I want to eat I can go into the kitchen and get my own food and maybe take there's there's many parents who are like why did this child take just one bite of the apple and then they just left it they didn't eat anything else because they were simply just realizing that they had a need but they also had a capability to satisfy that need in the absence of an adult in the absence of their primary caregiver and so at two you get this idea of a child being aware that they can be completely autonomous in their own understanding of like I don't need a parent that's why I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You want me to sit, I'm going to walk. You tell me to, to not run and I'm going to run. You tell me to not eat and I'm going to eat. Or um, I don't want to eat my food anymore. All of a sudden, like they just think that they have this authority to not eat their food anymore. But it's because neurologically they're advancing to a place where they're realizing I'm my own little human. And so from the age of two, there is this detachment process that is beginning where this little human realizes I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to be an adult and I'm not going to need my parents. And we strive for that. Like we, we seek, we, no one ever puts their child when they're learning to walk and says, no, you're not allowed to walk. Like you cannot advance to that next stage. No, we applaud it and we think it's great. And we're like, wow, look, we take photos and videos and um, we mark it as a special significant day because they've just moved from being very dependent. And we're like, it's a milestone that we want to, you know, celebrate. So as that happens, there's psychological advancements that happen as well. But, you know, as we go into teenage years, those, those advancements in, desiring to be completely independent to having their own authority and to having control over the decisions that they make now all of a sudden we're like no you're supposed to listen to me mm -hmm. like no like your parents mom and dad say you can't do this and you can't do that but they're actually in a stage when we see puberty there's a massive amount of development that is going on in the brain which actually is giving them a better understanding of what I like and what I don't like and so there's an identity crisis that happens during those teenage years, which we also see happen like in late 30s, early 40s, which is like an early midlife crisis. And then you have like another life crisis, which is in the 50s and 60s, when we see, you know, there's like jokes, there's commercials where like there's like a, an old man who's like driving around in a sports car. Um, they, they're going through a life crisis where when they're looking at the end of life stage of this lifespan development, which is when you get to your fifties and sixties, you're realizing I don't have much left in my life. And so because of that, at this particular stage in their life, they're going through this midlife crisis. They're getting a Harley Davidson and, um, you know, the ladies are maybe starting to dress, you know, much younger than what they used to all of a sudden, or they're picking up habits and hobbies that they never liked before, but all of a sudden now they want to do all these things. So at that end of the lifespan, they're actually in a place where they're looking 
back at their life and they're saying, you know what? I didn't do what I wanted to do in my life. Mm. I always wanted a Harley Davidson, but I never had it. I never prioritized. Um, or, you know, certain ladies, they, they decide, I'm just giving random examples. They decide they, they want to travel the world and here they are like 50 and 60 wanting to go overseas and um, wanting to do things that seem more adventurous. And why is that? Because they've looked back on their life and they said, you know what? I missed out. And I don't want to end my life knowing that I missed out. And that's why you'll get quite a severe life crisis at the end in the 50s and 60s. But that life crisis, they faced it on, you know, different like um, sociological theories. They believe that, that that actually is the, the end of a life crisis that started in your 40s, like late 30s, early 40s, where you're at the stage now, you've got a career you've got a family, you've got kids, you've got the financial resources to do a lot more with your life than what you did in your early, like your late teens to young adult um, stage of life. And so now you're like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? Do I really want to continue in this career? And maybe I'm miserable in this job. So now I want to, I want to do something different. I always wanted to do whatever ministry, or I always wanted to be a tradie. And um, I always wanted to be an artist, really random things where at this particular stage in your life, you're like, why didn't I do that? I can do that now. But then we obviously have, you know, other responsibilities. Many of us are married, many of us have children. And so although we'd love to to make those decisions and decide that you're going to be like an artist um, and start painting, um, you can't, you're weighed down. But in your your 50s and 60s, your kids have grown up. You still have the financial security. And so you start doing some of those things that you wish you had a, you had a, had the freedom to do in your 30s and 40s. Now, if we go, you know, back even more in your late teens to young adult, there's a stage which is predominantly based, especially in puberty. So that's still a little bit earlier than late teens. Um, so late teens and in early adulthood, there's a lot of this, let me try everything and let me decide what I like. Why? Because prior to that, everything was based around what your parents let you do. And so you'll often find many parents are like, oh, my kids are off the tracks. You know, they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and you'll often find it during this age. Why? Because now they're an adult. Now they can actually get a job. They can move out because they've got the financial, you know, ability to do so. Um, they've got friends that they're hanging out with, which sometimes are older, which allows them the flexibility of being like, I can move in with them and rent a room out from them. And, and so there's, there's a lot of doors that open during those ages. And that's where you'll find a lot of people trying a lot of crazy things. I mean, doing a lot of things with their lives. And then some people, depending on your personality, you know what, you just settle. Like you start preparing, you know, for the potential of a spouse and you start, you know, financially setting yourself up so that you can buy a house and you can do all those things that we traditionally expect to be making in our 20s and 30s. Um, so then you have that period where, and you will find, especially among men, this particular age, so usually from the age of like 16 through till about 24, is when we find men engaging in the most dangerous activities because they just think like, I, I'm going to give everything a go. Like I, I've, I've got it. I'm able to do it. I've, I'm so young. I'm so fit. Um, you also find that there is a huge amount of um, substance abuse during this particular age among males. Why? Because there's this like, oh, I can drink, you know, 10 beers and I'll still be fine. Or um, there's this idea of like, they're just unbreakable, like nothing can stop yeah. them. Um, and, and so you'll find that a lot of that happens within males. And then with women, um, you'll often find that young women are often, most often, not always, seeking for a highly emotional connection with someone. And this is where you will find that, you know, some girls will just be hooking up with anyone that they, they can, or um, they'll be really obsessing over particular guys or girls, whatever um, it is at their preferences. And so you'll find that there's, there's a real pull for that relational connection um, among women. And often you will find that then they will get involved in relationships with people that are often not the best for them because the men are often in a completely different state of mind and so they're looking for completely different needs um, and then there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of pain and all that kind of stuff then through puberty the dander crisis that you'll find through there is that there is a rejection that happens in teens and that there is a desire to draw close to that which teens value um, and unfortunately, the way when we often talk about this idea of like chemical imbalances, oh, they're going through puberty. So, you know, their hormones are all over the place. It's yeah. super accurate. 
But the problem with that as well is that we often don't understand that they have no control. They have zero control about these hormones that are getting released. And so when you have your daughter or when you have your son, when you have your daughter that is very emotional, she literally cannot control that. Like she cannot control that. Her body is releasing chemicals and reacting to situations in a way that she cannot stop. Now, I will also say that it's very important to still be in a position where you can um, still reason with your daughter. They may have like an outburst. They may have like a real exaggerated reaction to a particular situation, but you should still be able to sit with them and say, look, do you really think that screaming right now is going to help this whole situation? Like, do you really think that, you know, locking yourself in your room and not talking to anyone for three days. Do you think that that's fixed this? You still want to bring them back to a place where they can reason and logically think through the way that they're reacting. For my girls, they're 11 and 12. And I have told them, I will probably say from when Chloe was 10 and Naomi was nine, I have told them, girls, if you were to speak to someone at work, the way that you speak to me, you would get fired. Mm-hmm. Like, They completely understand when I start talking about when they go to work, they completely understand that this type of behavior, like it's not on just because you think you can get, you can get away with it at home. Doesn't mean that this is the way that society functions. And so till this day, I still do that. I'm like, Chloe, if you were to do, you know, if she's cleaned her room and done a really bad job at it, I'm like, Chloe, do you realize that if you were at work and your boss asked you to clean this particular room, maybe it's an office, and you gave the amount of effort that you gave in cleaning your room and you gave that to your boss, I can guarantee you, like he wouldn't want to keep you on. If you did that a certain amount of times, you would get fired. Like you would get warnings, you'd get spoken to. So I'm trying to really make them understand, hey, that's cool that you want to be lazy right now, but just be aware, like this is not something that society is going to actually be okay with as you get older. And I'm wondering like, just, you know, um, how many people sort of enter the workforce with the same sort of, you know, um, concepts of life that I can still just, you know, carry on. I've just, I've just left my mother's house, you know, the rebellious teenager, I found my independence. I want to go and find a job. And then they do get a job and they carry that same attitude into the workplace only to get a very rude awakening that you know actually this yeah. doesn't actually fly um and and you say it's an, it's an identity crisis well could it also be like you know a social crisis in the sense that because they've grown up in this environment where you know at home and you know as mom and dad we try to do all these things for them but then but then we don't really prepare them for the real world you know what i mean so when they go out yeah. there into the real world and they realize okay things don't actually work like that, like they do at home. Yeah. Then, you know, they, they either get to a point where they're, they're shocked and, and, and either yeah. repulse their, you know, their state where they are, um, or they come to their sense and go, man, I left my mom's house when I was 17. <laughs> and, you know, I started regretting it when I was in my 20s. I'm like, nah, probably yeah. a little bit too early. <laughs> Yeah, you'll find that though. You'll find that many adults that I've spoken to, even young adults, they're like, man, we had it so easy at school. We had it so easy at home. But you just don't realize. And and, and again, like I, I, I must draw us back to the fact that the reason why they couldn't understand is because they neurologically couldn't. They didn't have the brain to actually filter life the way that we filter life as a 30-year-old, as a 40-year-old. Um, and so we have to be really considerate. Um, I think it's easy to sit there and be like, you know, you're not going to be of any good use to anyone if, if you keep, you know, being like this and rah, rah, But they just don't have the capacity. So if we can be constantly reminding them, hey, how do you think you would go at a job if this is how you responded to your boss? Or if some, if your manager gave you orders and this is how you reacted? Um, so, yeah, we have to be really careful with that. Um, but one of the biggest things, and, and I find, so for me as, as a Christian um, parent and, and someone who has like a very active faith, we have to be very careful too during these teenage years because it is a time that, I'll use the word, they have a greater awareness of their world around them, that they are going to be, like I mentioned, rejecting 
or drawing closer to that which is more fulfilling to them or to that which they see is like a good thing that, that is beneficial, that is enjoyable, that is pleasant. And so it's very important that as we go through these teenage years, that anything that is related to our faith, that we have to be really intentional of making faith as attractive as we can, that the experience that our teenagers have with the church, with faith, with Christianity um, is something that is very balanced, is something that is still very, like I said, attractive, that is something that is enjoyable, that is something that they look forward to. When we've made our faith something that can be so rigid and, and I'm all for, you know, boundaries and expectations and values and morals. But there comes a point where I think we can get so rigid with what we make our faith, what we make out of religion, that it gets to a point where when a young person is seeking independence and all we're throwing out is like rules and boundaries and no to this and no to that and everything's a no, no, no. We have to be careful because the natural response will be, I'm sick of all that. And so what will they do? You'll often find them going for somewhere where they get more yeses. And we have to be careful if, if our, the whole experience that we are like building for our kids is based on no's, then we have to be really careful that when it comes to a point where they're like, you know what, I actually don't want to be a Christian anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. Or they go to church because they have to, because they don't have a choice, but you know, deep down inside, like their heart's not with it. We have to be really careful in, in how we, we present our faith during these years so that, okay, you want to go out with those friends? Well, I don't really approve of those friends, but hey, you know what? We've spent so much time going to this particular church with this particular youth group and they have a lot of funds and they're going to a social on the beach and maybe you don't feel like going as a parent, you don't feel like going to the social to the beach because you're exhausted from a week at work, but you know what? Let's go hang out with them. Let's go spend Sunday at the beach with the youth group. You do whatever you want. Have fun with the kids. That you. We have to sacrifice with some yeses that are still safe and that still uphold our values, that still represent what we want our kids to be reflecting in their own personal experience. Um, yeah, because it's, it's at this particular time where you'll get many young people who will be like, you know what, I'm done with that. I just, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I, what I wanted it to be. Look, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the, you know, the, the safe yeses, you know, but mm-hmm. it just seems to me that there's a lot more unsafe um, things out there now for young people than, than there are safe things. You know, there's still a lot of um, recreational activities that could be considered to be safe, but it just seems like a lot of them are generally just, you know, um, debilitating, you know? Um, someone said that yeah. recreation should be a means of improving either the physical, the mental, or the spiritual man, you know, whatever we do. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that your girls, they, they love reading, that sort of stuff. Uh, if they love a sport or whatever it is. But I see the young people nowadays sort of, you know, uh, dirt bike tracks, smoking drugs, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is, you know, uh, and there, yeah, there's a lot of unsafe things out there so it's just finding those safe things uh, for them to do yeah and I will add um with that for example I believe personally and this has been just through my personal experience as a parent um and I will be honest like I had a very rigid faith and my daughters grew up in a very rigid um religion I guess you could call it the way that we presented our faith um so there came a point where I just realized that I needed to start shifting into more of these safe yeses because for me everything was just a no one to be totally honest out of it was an inconvenience for me I didn't want to have to go to those yeses those safe yeses I didn't want to have to invest in those safe yeses but I got to a point where they were probably around maybe like nine, eight and nine, where I was like, no, I need to start making our faith way more about the safe yeses so that they understand that life is, it's not boring and dull. Um, it, it, we can't go, it's not like we can't go anywhere because we've chosen to be specific type of Christians. And 
So I had to start investing in those at around eight or nine. So guess what my daughters now at 11 and 12, they love reading books. Yeah. They love going on hikes. But why? But that's because we started it at eight and nine. Actually, it was earlier, like six and seven. Um, they would just always go for walks, nature walks. But that's just naturally become part of their identity. And I was very intentional. Like still when we go there and they're dragging their feet because they don't want to go for like a nice nature walk or something. I'm like, guys, I promise you, you're going to be blessed. Like it's going to be so cool. Like you're going to love it. Like, yeah, you're tired because we're walking up like some mountain up to some summit. I'm like, wait till we get the view. I'm like, you never get anything easy in life. So the, the harder the hike, the better the view. And so I'm constantly putting that into their mind. So guess what? They're exhausted, but we get to the top of the hike and they're in absolute awe. They're appreciating the beauty of what we've just achieved. Now, I couldn't have, I couldn't have not done that if I hadn't have started at six and seven yeah. and that's a that's something that as parents we have to be careful like we can't just wait until they're going through puberty where they're wanting a greater level of independence they're wanting to do their own things they're wanting to make their own choices and now we're like oh no we're gonna go for a hike because i want to show you this this great place but they've never gone on a hike yeah. no, no young person's gonna want to go on a two-hour hike if they've never gone on a two-hour hike but now you're trying to find all these safe yeses these recreations that build the mind and build the body and all that kind of stuff um one example like i just went with my family so there's like an indoor indoor park like ob yeah. obstacle park kind of thing so we took them so it's i don't know if, if whoever watches ninja warrior it's like a ninja warrior obstacle course my daughters yeah so my daughter's back to me so we didn't watch any tv we watched zero secular tv my kids never watched any secular tv and they got there came a point where i had to start saying yes to safe options because we were staying at family houses at our family's houses for long periods of time and their setup is they just watch tv all the time um so i was like no so we would literally lock ourselves in our room um, while the tv was on and we just like color in and we do crafts and we do things while we're visiting family because we didn't want the girls around tv so and we just had to get to a point where we're like all right what is a safe option for this and so ninja warrior was one of those so the girls watch ninja warrior they love ninja warrior they think it's the best thing but I was able to say yes to that because why it, it encouraged physical and encouraged discipline and encouraged training and challenging and not giving up and you keep going through and not everyone wins some people lose and sometimes you make a mistake and so I found like that was a safe yes for us um Anyway, so now we took our girls to that. Like that was a treat for them. We took them to this indoor um, venue, which has like a Ninja Warrior obstacle course. And we went there as a family and they did the obstacles and they thought it was great. Now that was a safe yes for us. And we felt the more that we can provide those opportunities, our girls won't feel like, oh, because of my family's Christian beliefs, like we can't do all these things. Yeah. Um, they, they loved it. It was a highlight. They enjoyed it. It was a memory that that'll, that is going to literally be like fused into their brain. Um, it'll be stored up until like they're adults. Um, and that's what we need to do. The other thing that's really important, like during puberty, um, they found that because the hormones are just all over the place, you'll find that they, our brain will store memories that have emotion, highly emotional responses to it. So if it's a really bad day, parents have had a big fight, mom's crying, dad's angry, um, the kids are all upset because they don't know what's happening. Guess what? That is going to be fused into their memory um, they're going to remember that for a really long time that one time when mom and dad were fighting and I remember you know me and my sister we had to go and hide because we were scared and you know dad threw a plate or whatever those extremely like highly triggering emotional events are stored and so if as a parent all that we have is like neutral baseline um interactions not much of that is going to be stored. Most of us, they've, they've even found, if you ask adults, hey, what are the biggest memories that you have as a 40-year-old, as a 50-year-old, are usually ones that were highly emotionally triggering for a positive or a negative. Oh, I remember that one day when I really wanted, you know, this particular pair of shoes and my mom, like, you know, saved up and she surprised me with them. It's stuff that really created and, like, 
provoked a lot of emotional, uh, an emotional response from us. So as our teens are going through puberty, we have to be careful to not always be creating conflict and making highly emotional incidents in which they are a quite a negative event because guess what's going to be stored my parents always treat me like this yeah my parents always angry i think sometimes you know the the reality is very different from the memory the memory can sometimes be uh, it can be something corrupted you know it makes you see yeah. this is what it's always been like even though it's just one event um yeah uh, it was, you know, it can, it can dampen the whole, the whole memory. Yeah. And so our teens are going to store those types of events. So if you're always going off at your teenager because they're doing this and because they do that, and it feels like all you ever do, and I'm very like conscious of not doing that. If the only engagement I have with my teen throughout the day is you didn't pick up your stuff. And why did you leave your shoes over there? And I've told you not to do that. And why are you wearing that? We don't wear those kind of stuff. And why are you doing if like if you were to document and take account of what interactions you have with your teen? Mm-hmm. And if you see that the, the majority of your interactions are just going off at them or correcting them or criticizing them. And then there's hardly any of this just hanging out like at lunch today. It was a busy day. We had a program that I was helping to organize. And so by the time we got home, I was exhausted. I had to cook dinner for today and then dinner for tomorrow. And, you know, long story short, it was just busy. And the girls wanted me to go swim with them in our dam. And I was like, look, girls, not today. Cause you know, Fridays tend to always be really busy for us. So I'm like, not today. Anyway, the one time we did sit was just to have lunch. And I sat down and they were, they were sitting opposite me and I sat down with them. I'm like, I love hanging out with you guys. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm so busy today, but I promise you next week I'll go to the dam with you and we'll go swimming. But you know what? I'm so thankful I can just sit with you right now and we can just hang out and just have a chat. Their faces, like they just glowed. Now, literally, like it was like a 15 minute lunch. We didn't sit much, but I made it really intentional about saying, let me do something positive that's going to fill my daughters and make them think like, wow, mom loves hanging out with us because they're at a point now where they're seeking that sense of belonging, that sense of appreciation. And when all we do is criticize our kids and our teenagers, we have to be very careful to also make that time to appreciate them, to value them. I'm very like, I, I, I get like a bit, you know, whatever, I forgetful of appreciating them when they obey. Yeah. We just assume like our kids should obey. No, like, honestly, like I'm, I'm so intentional about when, so there was something that they did today. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, bro, like you guys should already know that. Like I've told you guys so many times, but God's like, no, like thank them. So I, I don't know what it was. I don't know who it was, but I'm just going to say, I'm like, Chloe, thank you so much for packing up the dishes. Like, I really appreciate that you did that. Like, I have to force myself to do that so that then Chloe and Naomi are like, okay, mom was thankful. Like, that's that's cool. Like, like, she was appreciative of what we did, even though deep down inside, I'm like, that's your job. Like, you're supposed to, <laughs> you should already know to do that. Um, so yeah, really be like, just aware of how we're parenting, especially through those like, puberty and teenage years um because if if we lose that bond with them during these years like they're going to find it in someone else and that'll either come through like a romantic relationship or it'll come through their peer groups like through their friends um and no matter how much you say you don't like their friends or you don't approve of their friends guess what they don't care because you don't have that bond with them to be even giving your opinion yeah they get that emotional fulfillment somewhere else. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, some of the stuff that you say is just like, yes, like me going through my teenage years is just like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like that, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I think, just been listening and taking notes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've, I have been checking it in, even though like, you know, I've kind of been absent in speaking, but like that has been really cool to hear what you have to go and say about it and like with what you've been learning in uni and stuff um you know how you know now with me listening is just like yes that makes so much sense like of course it'd be like that so um I think that's something that's really cool as well Uh, yeah and for me sorry Jason you go 
No, I was saying I definitely like to learn more about you know how to sort of bring in these aspects of caring and showing them that they do care. Because today my son, they made lunch, you know, they sent him into the house to make lunch for us. They came in and made lunch. It was just beans on toast. But he made the special yeah. beans, the one that I normally make for a guest, the buttered beans. And he said, oh, these are really good beins. And he says, oh, it's, it's your recipe. I'm like, oh, I didn't match it. Very sweet. Much, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was, that's nice. so cool. And, you know, I didn't actually teach him how to do it, but he made it just the way that I, I normally make it. And I thought it was really nice. Yeah. Wow. And that speaks volume. Like they're watching even when you don't think they are. Yeah. They're learning and taking it all in even when you don't think they are. Like even when you're not intentionally making it like a teaching opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's something as well. Like for me, we were in Victoria for like three months in 2020 and um, just my mom and I because we got stuck over there mm-hmm. anyway and um yeah like I was cooking like basically every day because like my mom was sick everyone was doing stuff and then like mom was on a different diet to like all of us so I was basically like cooking for myself and you know when I was cooking for myself I didn't really care about anything that I did like I had I made this disgusting like one of the worst fried rice I've ever tasted in my life because I'm a pouring person and I put way too much cum in. Anyway, I had to force myself to eat it. But then when I had other people that I'm like, hey, do you guys want to like come for lunch? And they're just like, oh yeah, sure, like we'd love to come. Anyway, and then like the amount of care and effort I would put into making that. Mm. So like when it was like, I think I made a chia pudding and I went, I put a big, like really big effort into doing like the fruit on top. So that it was like geometrical and all that sort of Ooh. stuff made it really nice for them. And it's cause there, I found fulfillment if I'm yeah. doing it for someone else mm-hmm. yeah. and then it makes it all worth it because you know, oh, it's, it's for them, you know, it's, it's fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I have that sense of purpose to do something. If, as I said, if I'm cooking for myself, literally, I won't make a yeah. salad. I'll go and grab a cucumber, grab a tomato, and grab some yeah. lettuce and shove it all in. Like I don't cut it, nothing, you know. But when it's for yeah. someone, then that changed my whole attitude about it. And yeah. I think, like, I think with strangers as well, it's like you know, with them, they'll say thank you, and like sometimes with family, it's just like, oh yeah, you know, thanks, mm. and that's it. So I think, and like, then they'll I, tell you how bad your fried rice was too, <laughs> on top of it. Like family will tell you how bad it was. Friends will be like, mm, "Okay, you know, that one was not shared." I am telling you right now, I suffered with that alone. <laughs> you weren't going to risk that one. Like, absolutely nope. not. You weren't going to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you were saying about how, like, when people like in their fifties and sixties as well, like how they have, I guess, like time of regret. Like, oh, I should have done all these different things. And like, okay, so I'm like still a teenager going through this time where, you know, I'm trying to go and do all these different things. But for you guys, like what were things that you wished that, you know, you had done when you were younger? Like, what would you say to your teenage self in like kind of wrapping all this up? (laughs) So for me, um, the way my life sort of worked itself out um, I was one of those bad teenagers, let's be honest. So I was one of those bad teenagers. Um, and I think there was a lot of, to be totally honest, my parents, they're kind of Christian, but not really Christian. Um, so we came from South America, from Chile. So you sort of by default born Catholic. Um, so when we came to Australia, my parents still, you know, remained with their Catholic faith, but it wasn't a really active faith. It wasn't something that, you know, we went to weekly. Um, we'd never owned a Bible. Um, my parents never prayed. Um, we never said grace. So it was, it was just this idea of we believe in God, but it's not really something that is reflected in our life. Um, and so from a really young age, there was just a different like moral compass that my parents had for us. Um, But anyway, at the age of like 13, 12 and 13, I started high school. Uh, Prior to that, I was probably really quiet, really shy. I don't think I really learned to stand for anything um, at that particular stage. So what I found was that when I went into high school, the crowd that I got um, sort of involved with, they were kind of more like the rebellious, naughty kids. And so we started shoplifting. Um, We used to steal a lot. 
Uh, we got into like witchcraft because at the time there was a particular movie that had come out that was called The Craft. Um, and we thought that was just the coolest thing. And there was there was four of us and there was four in the movie. So like we were like, yeah, we're going to be like these girls. And um, so anyway, we started doing a lot of like messed up stuff. Thankfully, I still like I must give like glory to God. Like it was still I'm like he was so merciful with me because it, it could have ended up so much worse. But anyway, my mom found out that I had been shoplifting. So she, one of our big shoplifting halls one day, she's like, where is this stuff come from? Like she just realized there's too much stuff showing up in our house that no one has bought. Um, and my, my excuse was, oh, my friend gave it to me. She's like, no, your friend can't afford to give you this much stuff. And that was where she said to one of her friends who used to go to church, um, said to her friend, said, you know what? She's like, if you let me take her to church, I'll take her every week. I'll pick her up. I'll drop her off. But maybe if she starts hanging around like a different crowd of young people and there's a boy there, you know, maybe things can change. And my mom in the desperation of where she was, because she had said to me, she's like, I can see you at 16. You're going to be pregnant and on drugs or in jail. Like it's either one of these three. Um, Mom was like, do whatever. Like, I'm willing to give anything a go. Um, and so this particular lady started taking me to church and I met my husband there. And to be totally honest, like from the age of 14, I started going out with my husband. Not knowing, I don't even think my poor parents had any idea that this was going to end up being like me getting married to this guy. I think they just thought it was like, you know, like a teenage thing. Um, but we ended up getting married. And so for me, I probably think one of the things that I would say to my younger self is like, don't seek for that closeness of relationship so young. Um, again, I don't think I realized it was going to end up with us getting married, but I do believe that there was a lot of things that I needed to learn as an individual, um, as part of my identity actualization that was never formed because I was always with my husband and, and a lot of my decisions and a lot of his decisions were based around each other. Um, rather than really making decisions based on, hey, this is this is where I stand. This is the decisions that I would like to make. Um, and maybe this is even, you know, the goals that I have for my life. Like everything was filtered around each other. So a lot of our decisions were based on, you know, how does this impact the other person or what does the other person um, have as a preference? And so everything kind of was compromised around each other. So that's probably the biggest thing. So I joke with my girls. I'm like, girls, you, you can have your first boyfriend at 35. <laughs> I'm like, at, look, around 24, your brain is fully developed. We'll give you a few years of like using that brain at its full capacity to make, you know, good decisions. And then from then on, you know, find yourself a husband. Um, but yeah, I, I, that would be definitely something that I would say to myself. And then also like, it's okay to, to lose people because you're standing up for what is right. Um, I think a lot of the decisions in my early teens and even throughout my teens were very much based around not upsetting people, not offending people and not wanting to lose people. Mm. Yeah, a lot of my decisions were based on what are they going to do? What are they going to say? How are they going to react? And will they still like stay with me if, if I decide that? that's not that's not something I want to do or somewhere I want to go or something that I that I want to be part of me mm. um, I think it's 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 hard to stand for your own personal convictions your own values and for maybe things that you really really want to do in your life um, I've seen a lot of people and predominantly young girls um, who will get into relationships they had goals they had plans they had like they had, you know, their 10 year plan all worked out and then a boy comes along and, and all those plans, you know, just dissolve. Um, and, and it's fine. Like, I guess that comes to the dynamics of, of the relationship that you want. Maybe that is the priority to, to continue with your relationship. That's the priority. Um, but I do also see that there's a lot of, a lot of women that have almost sacrificed everything that they had cherished throughout their teen years as what I want to do with my life. And then it all just disappeared because of a relationship. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And what about you, Jason? I, I find a very similar theme running through my sort of advice to my teenage self. And it's, it, it is, you know, not to become, as I imagine so, so attached to what people think about me. Like I found, 
when I was growing up, even from a young age, people's opinion of me, people's reaction to what I did mm. really mattered to the point where I was more doing, you know, a bit like you, Delphia, I was more doing this for people, not necessarily for, for myself. I wasn't developing my skills for myself. I wasn't looking after building myself, finding my identity. I was really looking at people's approval, basically. That, that was the most important thing for me. Um, and it started with my mom, you know, I used to, when she used to go out to prayer meetings and, you know, she'd come back, I would have the bed made. Now we're going to go to sleep, but I would make the beds, you know what I mean? Just so she would come and she'd go, yeah. wow, that's, you know, that's amazing. It's a good job. And it's just that, you know, it's just that it's a good job. You've done a great job. Um, that approval from someone meant mm. a lot to me. And I sort of went stage to stage you know just seeking that approval and that approval was the thing that sort of set me on so many different courses that I didn't want to go that I, I mean I didn't actually know where I wanted to go all I know I wanted to do was to find approval and so the approval of my teachers you know uh, led me to you know seek to get good grades if I if I if I valued the teacher I would pass the subject if I didn't mm. value the teacher I would fail the subject and it was it was kind of um, strange that even um, to one point I, I'm sorry that that's except for one subject which I failed which, which I thought the teacher was too valuable <laughs> and I couldn't concentrate um, but mm. most of the time it's just you know seeking that approval and I, I'll probably say to my my teenage self it's okay to sort of you know look at yourself and form your own identity um, develop your skills for yourself, you know, um, allow yourself to, to mature like, without actually, you know, um, you know, having someone go, you're doing a good job, you know, um, upload yourself when you've done a good job, you know, um, feel comfortable in your achievements, not necessarily because someone says that you've achieved or you've done well, just to, yeah, uh, that's something I love to say to my teammates. So. It's hard yeah. sometimes, though. So. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. Mm. I, I think. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, I wanted to hear what your your thoughts. <laughs> I have no no advice for my teenage self. Um, otherwise, you know. What about just, your younger teenage self? My younger teenage self. Oh. I don't know. Um. That, that's a hard one like okay i'm terrible at making decisions and trying to work out like the best piece of advice or you know stuff like that um maybe that oh i, I have no idea honestly um thinking like just like the first thing that popped into my head is probably like friends on everything and don't rely on them mm-hmm. as like your source of that's like, right preach it <laughs> um so it's just like yeah like I've had my friends but then you know there are times you know my emotional so I was just like, I don't want friends anymore you know but then other times it's just like oh it'd be nice to have more friends <laughs> and stuff mm-hmm. like that so um I think just you know um at this stage you know I'm not overly bothered by it because you know I'll come out of the shower or whatever I'll check my phone if I've gotten any notifications like mom nobody loves me Anyway, and it's just like that that's how I look at it now because you know it's just like I I don't get many messages at all so it's just like you know who cares I honestly can't be bothered mm. with friends sometimes it's just like you know I don't care like don't don't message me don't this don't that but yeah. you know my younger self was just like I need attention like come on friends talk to me you know so now I think you know like don't worry about friends overly that much worry about other things and probably stay connected with like the things that you do really enjoy and don't let other things take that away so that would be my advice to my youngest self um i'll take that advice for me um (laughs) you know what and i think i think too like when it comes to our personality Hmm. we also have to be aware that 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 particular advice that you give to yourself as a younger teenager will be very applicable to you as an older teenager as a young adult as an adult and yeah like for me I've found the same similar struggle but I think that's because of our personality I think we seek depth of relationship Mm, and it's very hard to find people that also seek that same level of depth um 
and, and because of circumstances, different situations make for different um, needs for people. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the person's need will determine how much they invest. Mm-hmm. When there is no need, they're just not going to invest in the same way. But when, when we have a need, we invest like 110%. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to find that. And that online validation too, Jason, like, well, not online, but that validation, like it can transcend to so many levels and like ministry, like digital ministries, you know, the like button, you know, the reason why they got rid of the counts was because it messes with your head because you seek that validation on an online platform just as much as you do in like the physical. Yeah. I did that with YouTube now. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's important. (laughs) Yeah. You got to find, and I find a lot of satisfaction in what I do. Like if I do edit a video and then I'm, I know the sort of work that I've put into it. um, And then when it comes out really good, I'm I'm happy with that. Rather than someone going, wow, your editing skills are so good. That that doesn't matter to me anymore. What matters is that I've done a good job, you know, done the best job I can with with what i've got the resources i've got and i'm happy with that I'm usually happy with the product and yeah what someone else says you know that it doesn't really add or take away anything from it. if someone says something they don't say anything. Hmm. Yeah. and i think too like sorry you go down i was just gonna say like i get that as well because like for me i can get very perfectionistic with like you know mm. sometimes i'll like perform and then afterward i'll like listen to it i'm like i was out of tune like that's gross like i can't yeah, believe like okay. i went out of tune and it's just like well you sang all right though <laughs> but for me it's just like yeah. no, but i stuffed up and i know that i stuffed up even like at church and stuff i'll play piano and then people will be like oh you did such a good like, job like you know you're getting better whatever i'm just like but i stuffed up did you hear me stuff up i mm. stuffed up big time mm. and they're just like no with my violin I'm like I stuffed up and they're like we didn't hear Adelphia it doesn't matter yeah. but for me it's just like because I know that yeah. I made a mistake now it's just like no who cares I made a mistake in that so I think that that's me through like a lot of different things if I'm told like kind of like no I've always been like afraid of a no like I don't know why like sometimes I'm doing something that's stupid like I remember there was like a really sharp nut that I had Anyway, and I was hitting it against some wood. Anyway, and a girl said to me, like, hey, don't do that. Like, you're going to blunt the knife for me. I was just like, okay. Like, you know, you're attacking me, basically, mm. is how I feel, even mm. though it's just, like, constructive for me. Like, don't blunt the knife. I love sharp knives, so don't blunt it. But, like, just to hear, like, someone say don't do that, for me, it's just like, that's a personal attack on my soul. Like, how dare mm. you? Like, this is World War Three on me. So I think that's something as well that I go and do a lot of. And that's probably something that now to my present self, it's like, don't do that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so like, I, and I think the more that we're aware of that, like the more that we can be conscious of, hey, let me not fall for that. Let me, let me reason that out. Let me process that without being defensive, without feeling attacked, like, like you said, the, the lady just likes sharp knives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, um, that gives her emotional maturity. Yeah. And I think that, that was me as well. It's like, you know, that was a really good knife. And, you know, because <laughs> we were like in a garden or whatever, and you had to cut the heads off of the, um, off of the kale or something so that, you know, they wouldn't flower. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, mm-hmm. you just, and then it's just like they were gone it's just like, once it, yeah so that was like you know i enjoyed it as well and it's just like well you're doing something that's gonna stop that fun from happening mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but you know this has been yeah. a great episode catalina thank you so much for coming on and can you share with our audience where they can find you at okay so i let me let me have a look because i don't know how to tell you all these things off the top of my head so i'm involved in a few online ministries so i'll give you I'll give you the Facebook pages for these. So I have my own podcast, which is a Connected Adventist podcast. And the handle for that is Connected Pod, um, at Connected Pod. There's another ministry that I um, help create content for, which is called Way Changer Ministries. And their handle is at Way Changer Ministries. And each word has a capital. So capital W, capital C, capital M. 
And then there's another ministry that um, I've sort of set up, which is specifically focusing on establishing um, community service in local churches. So that ministry is called ACTS, which stands for Adventist Committed to Serve. And the handle on Facebook for that is at SDA ACTS. So they're the three. They're the main three. Nice. I really enjoyed the yeah. chat and uh, bringing some noise from you. Yeah. Thanks very so awesome. much for having me, guys. Yeah. It's great to be so able much. to um, know that there's another like faith based podcast that just talks about, you know, topics that are relevant to everyone. Um, yeah. It's really good to see that you guys are out there having those, intervie- those interviews and having those discussions. So mm. keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you. And yeah, once again, just thanks for coming on. And this episode was sponsored by the Avon Valley FDA Church. Their website is avonvalley.advent.org.au. And you can find them on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And remember to go onto the Facebook page and write down who you are, where you're from, and you've been listening to the podcast and you'll receive a shout out. Uh, So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you to the audience as well. And yeah, until next time, see ya. Yeah, thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.